0: From Podcast
1: One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Anytime there's an impeachment proceeding going on in the Congress to remove a president, it consumes a lot of time and energy. That voice belongs to the man who
0: was the very first Homeland Security Secretary for the Trump administration for almost one working day. His name is Jay Johnson. He was better known as the Homeland Security Secretary for President Barack Obama. And he suggests the impeachment proceedings underway have taken a far worse toll on the U.S. than we might imagine because of its divisive nature.
1: And my primary concern about the current debate where certain people are trying to create doubt about whether it was the Russians versus the Ukrainians sends the signal to Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, hey, we're not so sure you were the ones responsible for this. You know, we're getting a, a muddled picture. You had one member of the United States Senate a couple of weeks ago say, I don't know. The toll
0: impeachment is taking on U.S. national security. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP. the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. For only the fourth time in U.S. history, articles of impeachment against a sitting president have been, are likely to be, passed. In the process, the deep divide between political parties at the highest level has seeped into the daily media machine, whether traditional or social media. And the vitriol on social media alone is shocking at times. Meantime, the world is watching. So what are the national security implications of all of that? Former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson joins us to lay them out can't get into politics because that's not my thing, and that's not what we do on this program. But what we do talk about are the nuts and bolts of national security. And um, I can't think of a better person to ask about this because you were Donald Trump's first Homeland Security Secretary.
1: For all of seven hours and 32 minutes on January 20, 2017, that day I was a designated survivor, mm-hmm. which meant that I served— until the appointment of my successor, John Kelly, which meant that I served right. seven and a half hours into the Trump administration.
0: That's an interesting So piece. I was his
1: first cabinet officer. For seven and a half hours, I was the entirety of his cabinet and the first one to resign from his cabinet.
0: That was, that was an interesting piece of information there because I didn't know that, and I'm doubting a lot of people did. Impeachment, national security impacts, what do you see?
1: Well... <laughs> First, there's the obvious impact on national security. Anytime, and we've only done this a handful of times in the history of our republic, anytime there's an impeachment proceeding going on in the Congress to remove a president, it consumes a lot of time and energy that should be spent uh, doing the people's business in other respects. And so on the national security front, When there's an impeachment proceeding going on like the one we have today, uh, things like the NDAA, for example, the National Defense Authorization Act, which has to pass Congress every year, uh, could be sitting on the back burner, passing a budget for the entire federal government for fiscal year 20. Also, uh, a budget for the Department of Homeland Security, uh, focusing on national security Uh, priorities. But the, the biggest concern I have about the current debate from a national security perspective is that the Russian government interfered with our election in 2016. They did so in numerous respects. They hacked into the DNC. They put out fake news, published, republished fake news about one of the candidates and scanned and probed around various voter registration databases in various states throughout our country in 2016. In order to prevent them from doing that again in 2020, our government needs to send a very, very strong, unequivocal, unambiguous message to the Russian government. Don't do this again. We have to make this behavior cost prohibitive. We have to send a sufficient deterrent. And my primary concern about the current debate where certain people are trying to create doubt about whether it was the Russians versus the Ukrainians sends the signal to Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, hey, we're not so sure you were the ones responsible for this. You know, we're getting a a muddled picture. You had one member of the United States Senate a couple of weeks ago say, I don't know who did it. And that is exactly the type of message that I think Vladimir Putin wants to hear coming from our leaders here in this town, that it's gray. Up until now, the message has been sent unequivocally from Republicans and Democrats to the Russian government. We know you did this. Don't think about doing it again. That message came first in my own statement issued on October 7th, 2016 with the Director of National Intelligence, Jim Clapper. It came from our intelligence community in January 2017. It came from the intelligence community in this Trump administration in unequivocal terms from the House and Senate Intelligence Committees. The Senate Intelligence Committee issued a very strong report condemning the Russians for what they did, chaired by Republican Richard Burr, and the very, very detailed indictments by the special counsel, Robert Mueller, that by name identify those Russian officials who hacked into the DNC and who put out fake news. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing with a nation state, we cannot erect... A 100% foolproof defense line of defense against cyber intrusions we have to create sufficient deterrence to make the behavior cost prohibitive again and my biggest concern right now with those who are trying to suggest that maybe it was the Ukrainians or hey the Ukrainians did this too it's muddling the message
0: and maybe they're getting into something that they don't realize could be a lot more harmful uh, to the U.S. than even what the Russians have already done by casting doubt on this and suggesting, giving Vladimir Putin an out. Is that what I hear you're saying? Exactly. Right. So one of the things I remember, excuse me, very clearly from your tenure, and you mentioned it a moment ago with your 2016 joint statement from um, you and uh, D.N.I. Clapper at the time. um and I think this was in the book, The Apprentice, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Greg Miller from the Washington Post. There are a couple of several representations of what took place. You actually had a offered every state in the U.S. the opportunity to engage with DHS, yes. to build uh, a very resilient defense against any kind of... Um, uh, technical intrusion intrusion at the Mm -hmm. time yes and if i remember correctly there were a couple of states that said no we don't need your help and here we are now in this situation and i'm wondering looking back on that i've always wanted to ask you that what do you think about that moment i think it was was it wasn't governor kemp from georgia
1: he was secretary of state secretary at at
0: the time yes yes i remember so he's governor now but wasn't it he who said, we don't need your help. Um, and I'm yes, wondering- it
1: did. Yes, so first, let's start with the good news. The good news is that in the run-up to the 2016 election, something over 30 states actually did come to the Department okay. of Homeland Security and seek our assistance. And we identified a number of vulnerabilities, nothing major, but we identified a number of vulnerabilities in working with state election officials helped patch the vulnerabilities and I should add since then since the 2016 election a lot of good work seems to be seems to have been done with the states in conjunction with the federal department of homeland security to improve the cybersecurity around our own election infrastructure in August 2016 when we were becoming increasingly concerned about what the Russians might do to alter voter registration list, or interfere with balloting. Uh, I put out a message, I engaged every state election official across this country, and Mr. Kemp was probably the most vocal opponent to any federal assistance to state election officials. There were a handful who were against it, and he was the most vocal.
0: Do you think um, they regret this now? Does anyone regret not fully taking on the full full breadth of the resources that you were making available? Was that a mistake for all states not to be on board?
1: A state election official, given what we know the Russians did and are doing, would regret that at their peril. At the peril of the voting public that they are supposed to be serving. You know, uh, this this is a you know. Let's put aside three years ago. This is an ongoing threat to our nation. Well, that's where I want to get to
0: first. Um, but 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 first, I wanted your perspective on that that moment in time, which to me was pivotal. You know, uh, just reading the histories, this was all after it took place because you know you weren't saying a lot about what was going on. But this was later seeing this. Does it strike you that some of this could have been avoided?
1: Well, fortunately, we do not know of an actual intrusion into state voter registration databases that had the effect of altering or eliminating voter registration. As I sit here, I do not know that. In 2016, to get at your question, we were clearly facing some state-level resistance to federal assistance in what traditionally has been the province of state and local officials, Mm -hmm. that is, running elections. And as you may recall, in the late summer of 2016, seeing what we were seeing I floated to state election officials the idea of declaring, which I had the authority to do, that election infrastructure is critical infrastructure in this country such that it is a priority when it comes to the assistance the Department of Homeland Security provides. I got some pushback from that. We were in the midst of an election season, and secretary kemp and others a few others expressed opposition to it based upon a misunderstanding of what it is declaring election infrastructure critical infrastructure is not a federal takeover it's not binding operational directives on the states it's just simply saying if you ask Mm -hmm. we will prioritize giving you assistance and so either intentionally or otherwise, there was a misapprehension about what we were offering. So what I did was rather than push the, this declaration on them, offer them assistance on a one-to-one basis. And over 30 states actually did seek our assistance. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, here we are now. I mean, we're looking back on it. And even today, the 9th of December, 2019. There is a report that's come out from the uh, inspector general looking into the FBI probe of Russia. So we're still talking about this. You know, this is, uh, what, four years later? <clears throat>
1: Three years. Three years. By my count. Well, I'm saying this—you this, you, you got— Four years in terms of the election cycle.
0: Well, in terms of what you—you you kind of got some, some inkling of something not being right in 2015, late in the year, right, if I'm not correct— It was late in 2015 that the the U.S. government started to hear and see some things that weren't adding up in terms of the possibility of Russian meddling, and there was a lot of stuff that took place in 2015. Speaking
1: from my perspective, which is what I can do, I recall becoming aware of intelligence reports that the Russians may be attempting to... Intrude into our election and that someone Uh had hacked the DNC at some point in the summer of 2016 Okay, and there was a rising tide of awareness in the course of the summer of 2016 That someone had hacked the DNC that the someone was Russian Mm -hmm. and that that Russian was a Russian government actor Mm -hmm. at the behest of Vladimir Putin, Mm -hmm. such that by late summer, early fall, we knew we had to take action and say something to the American voting public. Okay.
0: So all that's done, all that's happened, and here we are today, the 9th of December, 2019. Some have expressed concern that Russian agents and proxies, while the U.S., and I've asked you about impeachment, are distracted with that, have already embedded themselves so to speak, into U.S. critical systems, um, gotten themselves into a position to try to interfere again in the 2020 election. Uh, What's your viewpoint on that? Um, Is there anything overt that suggests this is underway to you?
1: I have not read an intelligence report on this in almost three years now. All I know is kind of what you know, maybe Mm -hmm. even less at this point, but I Mm -hmm. do have my perspectives from... 2016, and I do have a perspective from reading intelligence reports for almost eight years, it would not surprise me if what you suggest is true, because in my observation, the Russian government, nor any other foreign government actor, has been sufficiently deterred from taking this opportunity to try to interfere in our democracy not just the russians but no one and i used to tell my people don't plan for the last attack plan for the next attack and so there's no reason to believe that this bad behavior would be limited to the russian government now that others have seen what the possible is and I don't limit that statement to just foreign government actors. There may be other bad actors out there that are contemplating interfering in our democracy in some way. Now, I have to say this. This whole discussion of interference in our election, interference in our democracy, should not, underscore not, deter anyone from participating in it by voting. One of the things that we were very concerned about in 2016, and you kind of see this somewhat mixed message in our statements, was by saying the Russians are doing what they're doing, perhaps casting doubt on the integrity of our democratic process such that people would become disenchanted and alienated and walk away from it. And that is the exact wrong reaction to have. People should not be deterred from voting because of the 2016 experience so what the Russians and others may be up to right now. It's part of our civic obligation, those who are eligible to vote, to register to vote, and actually vote.
0: Give me your assessment of the skill level that the Russian actors had during your time frame when you were
1: reading those reports you were talking about. That's an interesting question. There are several foreign government actors who are very sophisticated in this space. The Russians, the Chinese, the Iranians, the North Koreans, and they all have their different signatures and their different styles and methods of doing business. There are some others out there that are pretty sophisticated. Of course, our own government is very sophisticated and clever in the cybersecurity space. Uh, perhaps better than anyone the Russians are like the uh, are like the the big bear mm-hmm. um they leave large footprints it's almost as if they want you to know it was them and that is their that seems to be their mo their their style and they're they're brazen about it so I am concerned that Though we know exactly what they did and how they did it to the point where we've named individuals in a criminal indictment in United States District Court here in this country, <clears throat> they have not stood down from making another attempt at interfering in our democracy. And they're not getting the right message that they need to be getting from our government on our behalf to protect the integrity of our democracy. You know, a president takes an oath to support and defend the constitution. Yeah. The president's principal obligation aside from his oath to the constitution is to protect and defend the American people. And that includes protecting and defending their democracy as well.
0: Yeah. You know, you're, from a journalistic point of view and from my own point of view as a practicing journalist, that is one of the biggest questions out there now and has been since the beginning of this president's tenure is what is it about Russia? And nobody has been able to say definitively what it is. And I certainly don't expect us today to come to any conclusions about that today. But it's very clear that there is something different Um When it comes to Russia with President Donald Trump and a number of people, you know, and again, this is not a political program, but a number of people from both Democrat and Republican sides of the aisle have talked about sending this strong message to Russia uh, that hasn't really happened. And um, what you mentioned earlier, the question about certain people on the Hill um, saying maybe it wasn't Russia you know, sort sort of helps that narrative. What do you think Russia, Putin, and his group are doing with all of
1: this right now? Well, you know, it's probably not very hard to figure out this president. And in my observation, foreign leaders are figuring out this president. Mm. So, and I'm quite sure Vladimir Putin the former KGB agent, figured out this president a long time ago, perhaps before he even became president. How so? How'd you do that? Well, you know, he he plainly, um, and this is not unique to Donald Trump, he plainly uh, likes to be flattered. Mm -hmm. I'm told that he likes to be told how different he is from President Obama. Um, And just to give you an example, of what I'm talking about, right after the attack, the air base in Pensacola, President Trump received a phone call from the King of Saudi Arabia, uh, and I, that was a well-placed call. It was a timely call because we can all imagine what Candidate Trump would have had to say about that attack on our air base uh, by a foreign national who was in this country. As a candidate, we can all imagine what he had had to say. He's not had much to say at all, and I suspect it was because there was a—one of the reasons, perhaps, is there was a very timely phone call placed by the the king of Saudi Arabia to the president.
0: Anything else you want to add or talk about today that we haven't engaged on?
1: Just it's—JJ, it's always good to talk with you. We did this a number of times while I was secretary of Homeland Security, and— just to go back to what we were talking about before, we're in a very difficult, tense situation right now. And a large part of the public, including maybe even some of your listeners, are are disenchanted with what's happening in Washington right now. Um, <clears throat> but it's doubly important that Americans not turn away and that they participate in their democracy. Um, If you don't like what's happening, this is a democracy. There is an opportunity for change every two, every four years.
0: That was former Homeland Security Secretary, Jay Johnson, talking with us about the national security implications of impeachment. Coming up in our next episode. Read Graham Allison's book, Thucydides' Trap. That's Roddick Sikorsky a former noted journalist and distinguished statesman from Poland, who was at one point the defense minister. He's now the head of the EU delegation in Washington, with a bit of advice for the U.S. when it comes to dealing with China. Thucydides was an Athenian historian and general. His history of the Peloponnesian War recounts the 5th century B.C. war between Sparta and Athens. And he wrote, It was the rise of Athens and the fear that this instilled in Sparta that made war inevitable. Such rivalries usually get out of control, and um, uh, and this one mustn't because it would just be too dangerous. The impending face-off between the US and China, and of course, all of the key issues between the US and the European Union. Coming up on our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's Green at WTOP.com. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And check out our newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alert. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. We are deep into this year's NFL season, and everyone wants to know who will be coming out on top. Am I right? Well, then, you need to check out the one podcast that can get you everything you need to know about the biggest NFL games and analysis on the postseason. I'm talking about the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross played seven years in the NFL before retiring, so you know he's got the insider knowledge you crave. Be sure to check out the Ross Tucker Football Podcast every week on Podcast One, Apple Podcast, and many of your favorite podcast listening apps.